Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in the book of Deuteronomy still. We are at a parsha of a collection of different laws. Um, yeah. So it, it's not, not the greatest hits of, of Jewish law ever. Um, and I'm going to spend some time with you on two verses, two verses we're going to look at, um, from our whole time this morning. So once again, it's one of those opportunities where we get to see what the r- rabbinic tradition does with words of Torah that they purposefully read way past what even they know is what Torah is talking about way past. Um, but it has become a whole thing. And so we're going to look at this thing it's become. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how this showed up for me in Israel. When I was in Israel, it happened to me in Israel. Um, and this is going to be the basis of my talk at the high holidays. So I am workshopping my sermon with y'all because some of y'all choose to go to the sanctuary service. Not judging. I'm not hurt. I don't have any feelings about it, but some of y'all never hear me talk at the high holidays. So, um, we learn together all year and then the big days come and I'm by myself in Florida. Okay. So. I'm going to workshop a little bit of my talk with you and see if it lands, because uh, I still have three weeks uh, to f- to figure out something if it doesn't. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as they're in the sanctuary. Okay. So we're going to go to the text now, and you're going to go, really? This is going to take us. I Some of you studied this with me before, but we're doing different texts on the text and a little bit of the one we did before. Um, so we're at 22. We're at chapter 22 of Kitetse uh, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. So let's look at these verses at, at the shot level, at just kind of the regular reading of this. This is law. We're in a collection of laws. So this is, we're reading to the Deuteronomic law here. Lo tir et shor achicha. O et save nidachim. You cannot see your brother's ox or sheep gone astray. And you disappear yourself from them. So you, you ignore them. You shall surely return it. Hashev to Shivaim. You hear shave twice, right? So this is the emphatic. Hey, shave, Hashev to Shivaim. Return it, you'll return them to your brother. This is where we, this is the root shuv to turn, to return, right? To Shuva comes from here. Repentance, right? That we're coming up on comes from here. All right. So you cannot see your Achicha means your literally your brother, but it means a fellow Israelite. You can't see their livestock gone astray and ignore the situation. 
you have to take it back to your Israelite person. Ve'im lo karov achicha elecha, but the disjunctive of, but if your brother doesn't, isn't close to you, meaning karov, meaning distance, doesn't live near you, velo yadato, and you don't know who he is, Asafto, then you will bring it home. You will collect it, meaning the animal, el toch betecha, into the midst of your house, home, morning. Jim, how are you? Um, you will bring it into the midst of your house. Vihaya imcha. It will be with you, meaning the animal will be with you. Adrosh achicha oto, right? Until your brother comes and claims it. Vahashevoto lo. Then you will cause it to be returned to him, right? Hashev, Hashevoto. You will cause it to be returned to him, okay? That's it, that's this, it. This is the opposite of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. This is the, the exact opposite. opposite of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It is exactly the opposite, okay? So you'll do the same with that person's ass. You will do the same with that person's garment, so too shall you do with anything that your fellow Israelite loses and you find. You must not lehit alem. Lo lehit alem. You are not allowed to remain indifferent. You, you can't ignore it. So if I, you know, if I find this cell phone and I know it's some Israelite, right? Person's cell phone. I, I can't just kind of walk by. I have to figure out, I can take it with me to figure out whose it is, right? First, you're going to ask anyone around, is it, Judith, did you leave your cell phone again? Yeah, right. Oh, nice try. Um, so, right. So, um, you, you check out like what makes most sense. And then you're like, okay, it's nobody in this room. It has to be from a previous group. So I'll take it to my office and we'll see if we can't unlock it. We'll see. Is it, you have to start the investigation to figure out who it belongs to. Because it is your obligation to return something that's been lost to someone else. It doesn't talk about, about things that don't belong to Israelites because what the concern is of these laws is what citizens owe each other. So we tend to think of it as, oh, wait, just an Israelite? Well, what about a slave that loses? Like, it's like, this is, these are laws about how people who are citizens are supposed to behave vis-a-vis one another. What are your obligations to each other? Okay. So people with property, it's assumed you're a citizen of Israel. If you have a wild, no wild, if you have a wild sheep, if you have a wild sheep, it just keeps running off. So if you have a sheep with attitude, so, so if you have if you have a sheep or anything that, that is yours that is valuable like that, it's assumed you're a citizen. You're a landholder, right? Slaves are not going to have a flock, right? So this is about land-owning Israelites. What are your obligations to each other? So if you see it lost, it is your obligation to take it back. If they're not near you or you don't know whose it is, you take it to your house and you watch over it. Oh, I, I don't. This may not connect at all, but... 
what's the interface with this and the so-called Good Samaritan rule, which is also biblical, that if you see something hurt, you can go past it. But once you render some kind of aid, you have a duty to continue to aid. So that would not be here because you wouldn't have a duty to stop in the first place. All of that stuff comes back to here. All of it that you we have obligations to each other. Yeah. But that's a different obligation that they're saying different different (laughs) technical points of law. But it's all coming back to the same thing. How do we build a society? Yeah. But do you have a duty in the first place? Here? Yes. Yes. You have to stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right. So here, here, here we go. Look at four. Right. Lo et chamor achicha oshoro no flim baderach. You can't see the ass or the ox of your neighbor. No flim baderach fallen down in the road. Vehitalamta mehem and you. I like disappear yourself because um, it like kind of. To disappear is what it means, Lehitalim. To disappear yourself from it. Hakem takim imo. Hakem takim. Again, the, you hear the kum again twice. Kum to get up. You will lift it so that it's lifted. Emo with him. You have to stop. You, <laughs> you are obligated to stop. Right? Okay. So this is the, this is the, uh, thing we're going to be dealing with this is dealing with lost and found so these are the laws from deuteronomy of lost and found so how the talmud goes on to deal with this i didn't bring it all because i don't want to spend a lot of time on talmud i want to spend more time on the hasidic tradition the talmud asks all kinds of questions like is there an identifying mark on it right because then i'm more obligated to try to figure out if it's a 20 dollar bill Am I obligated to try to find who it belongs to? Turns out, no. Because, mm-hmm, mm, yeah, it's yours. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, if it's sitting by the chair, I can say to Bert, did you drop that? Like, duh, right? But walking down the street, if I find a $20 bill, there's nothing to signify whose that is. And people have an interest in saying, yeah, sure, that's mine. Yeah, right? So so the Talmud goes into great detail and great depth about what what has to be going on with it for me to have to work super hard to find the owner of it. And there's the other part. The other part is it's not considered lost. It's considered misplaced until the owner could reasonably be expected not to expect to get it back. Once the owner is in a state of yeush, despairing of ever getting it back, now it's considered lost. Right, you start to see where the rabbis are going to go? It isn't lost. It's misplaced until whoever lost it gives up hope of finding it or having it returned to them. So it stays in the possession of the person who took it home, who found it, who has it in safekeeping until the person despairs of ever getting it back. Okay. So, right. So the tradition is going to, going to work a lot with that idea. Yeush, this idea of despairing of getting it back. Then it's lost and now it's available for someone else to take it, right? It's gone. 
only once there's yeush on the part of the owner who had it. Okay. So, so that, then you can keep it. What? No. That's Talmud. The Talmud says that. So, um, so the Talmud says, so then what are the, then the Talmud breaks down, what does Yeush, who would be in Yeush of ever getting it back? If it's a $20 bill and it's not in my wallet, presumably I'm in a state of Yeush, right? It's, it's assumed that I know that ain't coming back. So the person who finds it can take it, right? A pen that you, if a pen is found on the sidewalk and it doesn't have the person's name on it, Whoever lost it is presumed to be in a state of yeush, right? They, it's presumed no, they know nobody can find them to give it back to them. And so the pen is considered up for grabs. Someone can take it home and keep it. I found at one point a few years back some money on the street. It was a significant amount and there was nobody around, but I put a note on the parking meter saying, I found money in this location. If anybody can claim it, if they know how much it was, I put my phone number. Call me and tell me how much it was. I, I got two or three, but but nobody had the right amount. So I figured in that case it was Leush. Yes, you. Then it's it's up for grabs. 100%. But the same. If you find anything on the street, you can do that—a ring or earring or whatever. Right. So so you did the good Israelite. Right. Commandment to at least try to, to try to find who it belongs to. Right. Because that is that is the re- the law, the way it's referred to. When I told you it's a thing, what is this referred to as? This is referred to the laws of all of these laws are the laws of Hashavat, the return. Because you put that top at the end when you're going to link it to another word. Hasheva, the return of what? Um Aveda, that which is lost. Something that is ibud, it is lost. Aleph, bet, dalit. Hashevat, aveda, the return of lost things. The return of that which is lost. That's these laws. They're known as hashevat, aveda. So I just had this moral or ethical idea is that if you find something and you realize the other person is in despair, they'll never get it. And it's very valuable. Do you use it to increase your own? good or do you use it to increase the good of the community and not like if you found $500 you know is it self-serving you know go to spa I mean that was my question there doesn't seem to be an ethical concern in Torah of because you found it you need to use it for the community you found it good on you if you tried to find who it belongs to, or if there's no siman, there's no nothing on it that's going to make it identify, I think identifiable, then you get to keep it. There's there's no concern here about how you're going to use it. It's assumed you're going to be tithing and doing doing all the things you're supposed to do, you know, right? And taking care of the poor and leaving the edges of your field for the poor. There doesn't seem to be a concern about it. Um, we we could talk about whether or not we have a concern about that, you know, about is it? But if you find it. You know, good on you. All these people with these looking like Lee Hanna with their headphones on, like on the beach with their metal detectors, right? It's like, I, I found it. You, you know, it's mine. Like it, it's once it's, once it's considered lost, truly lost, then whoever finds it gets to keep it. 
This is from Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlov, a Hasidic master. We've looked at this before. I learned this at Hartman. I've looked at this before. The reason I'm, I was dealing with it again was because when we graduated Hartman, they were making a book and each of us had a page in the book so that we each have the book with each of us has a page in the book with our pictures. Like we, we picked pictures from the four years for our page. And then we were supposed to bring a text for our page that we learned at Hartman that we loved, that we felt really has changed something about how we see the world. So this is the text that I put on my page in the book. Okay. So I had it loaded on my phone because I took a screenshot because I had to send it to Lauren and I'm blah, blah. And I was rushing in a bit. So I had it right on my phone, ready to go. Here it is. This is um, dealing with, right? This business of Hashabat um, Aveda, the return of lost objects. Says Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav, know that you need to travel to the tzaddik the righteous person, to search for your Aveda, for what you've lost. For before a person enters the world, he is taught and shown everything he needs to do and accomplish and work in this world. And the minute she enters the world, it is forgotten. How is it forgotten? Do you know this? From Jewish, the angel touches the infant here, right before birth. Um, and it's how we get this indentation. And we forget everything. We know all of Torah. We know all of everything. We know all of oral Torah. We know it all. We know our purpose. We know exactly what it is we're supposed to do in this life. Kayla's looking very sad that she got touched right here. Yeah. And we get touched right here. Okay. And the minute she enters the world, it is forgotten. As our sages say, and our sages of blessed memory called he who forgot one who is lost and Oved. So all of us who have been touched are Ovedim. We are lost. Because forgetting is an aspect of Aveda, of losing. And our sages say, quick to learn and quick to lose. And we need to go back and reclaim Avedato, the person's lost thing. Because that's what we read in Torah. You're supposed to return it to him. So you need to, it needs to be returned what's been lost. And his Aveda is with the Tzaddik. Because Torah tells us someone has to take it with them if it's lost. Who takes the Aveda of the rest of us? The Tzaddik. So the Tzaddik has the Aveda, right? For the Tzaddik searches after his own Aveda, Avedato, until he finds it. And after finding it, he goes back to reclaim the Avedot of others until he finds theirs or she finds theirs too. Until she finds all the Avedot of the whole world. Therefore, you have an obligation to travel to the Tzaddik and ask to reclaim your Avedah and to return and receive it from the Tzaddik. This is exactly that, George. This is a push to go to therapy. Absolutely. And the folks who analyze Rabbi Nachman's text say, you have to be in analysis first. You have to get therapized first to find out what you needed to know. And then you can return other people's stuff 
about what they need to know. You have to go first. You have to search for what's lost and missing for you first. And once you do that, you have the capacity and the ability to help others. Kayla? Two things. One is what like resonated with you for this, for you to choose it. And then also it reminds me of like the shatters like that we are like, and when we find our purpose, then we all come together um, to like be whole. That's what it reminds Beautiful. me of. Beautiful. Does this mean search within yourself for what is missing? Gam vigam. Yes and yes. I think it means so much. Remember, Rabbi Nachman of Bratislav was uh, bipolar and died very young. So he was depressed. He was in a state of, I don't know technically what it's called when you're not in the high state, you know, when you're in the other state. I don't know if it's technically called depression, but he was in that dark swing, you know, from euphoria to, you know, the other side of that a lot. So he was someone who lived with a lot of darkness and a lot of pain. Somebody has a microphone. At one point, I recounted to you the story I had heard about how converts are people who were replacing those murdered during the war, but you really didn't like the story. This story is another one that kind of could draw a relationship between conversion, finding your lost part and, and reclaiming it that is in the Torah. And I think you could read this, that those who convert are found by us. They've been lost to us. They were lost to the Jewish people. And when we go searching for Avedato, you know, for that which has been lost to us, then we get it back. This is a much healthier story. Yes. Yes, indeed. In a way, doesn't this relate to Chuva being in the month of Elul that you you turn and refine something that you had lost. So there are those who would love to drosh this exactly that way, Bert Kleinman. Some of us are very much connecting this idea to tshuva, right? Also, what is lost to the Jewish people? Torah. You don't have this. Don't bother looking. Right? I do. And they go scrambling for the paper. What's lost to the Jewish people is Torah itself. The Torah, which belongs to all of us, is nevertheless a lost inheritance to most Jews, says Daniel Nevins. The Hasidic author of the Sfat Emet said that every day a heavenly voice announces that a valuable lost about a, announces that a valuable lost object, the Torah, has been found and is waiting to be claimed. Writing that on this parsha, the Sfat Emet writes that about this parsha. You have to announce that something's lost. Something if it's something precious. And so a voice goes off from heaven every day saying, look, this amazing treasure has been, it's here. Come claim it. I mean, that's the Holy One, blessed be God. On Shabbat, the Jewish soul, soul remembers that it is missing something and seeks the Torah to study it. So on Shabbat, right, we, we come to that place of, of lost and found. To Bert Kleinman's point, Rabbi Ellie Mulbaum writes, Yom Kippur is at its essence a day of remembering what we have lost. In the process of teshuva, repentance, we also remember what else we've lost because of human actions, either our own or someone else's. 
This year, we've lost important relationships, opportunities to connect, our ability to care well for those around us, peace in our families. We've lost our tempers, our priorities, our sense of obligation. Repentance is our chance to find peace in our loss, to name our unresolved grief at our own actions. All right. So you begin to see for me, right, why this is compelling as a teaching at the high holidays. The piece you're missing is that in ancient Israel, the temple was the place where if during one of the three pilgrimage festivals to Jerusalem, you lost something, anyone who found it took it to the temple. Then when you came back, so anyone who finds something brings it to the temple. If you've lost something, when you come back, when you lost it on Pesach and you come back for Shavuot, then you don't even stop at your tent. Shavuot comes, you make it to the streets of Jerusalem, you head right for the temple to claim what you've lost. It was the temple that served as a massive Israelite lost and found. I believe that the synagogue is that for us. We know the synagogue takes the place of the temple. I believe these texts are all about the instinct that we all have something that belongs to somebody else. We all have something that somebody else has lost, whether it's hope, whether it's trust, whether it's friendship, whether it's love and concern, health. We all have something somebody else has lost. And I feel like the big part of the high holidays that is always so moving to me is when we can show up not knowing what that is for me. I don't know till breakfast. And sometimes I don't know for a few weeks what it is I went there to find this year. But I always come back with something. Always. There is something that is returned to me always. When I show up with an open heart, a willing mind, a contrite spirit, love of my people, willingness to change, when I can show up with all of that, I always leave there with something I didn't know I was going to find. Always. And this is my charge to us going into high holidays is can we come here to a giant lost and found and understand it as that? Maybe it's one line in the machzor. Maybe it's one thing below the line in the machzor. Maybe it's one melody. Maybe it's one conversation you have over cookies. Okay, let's be real. That oneg at Barnum is not cookies, right? You know, that, that feast that we have, right? Right? Um, maybe it's one thing you, and you don't know, you don't know when you are doing Hashevata Veda for someone else. You just might be moved to ask somebody a question, just one question, and you don't even know why. But in the asking of that question, you have expressed care and concern or have asked something that triggers something in someone else that helps them get to something that they were needing to access. That is lost and found. That is Hashevat Evedah that we do for each other. It is, it is a profound thing to show up ready to discover what's lost and to return what's what we have found. Whether that's something we find inspiring, right, this year. Maybe something we're challenged by that we confess out loud. 
that we're really struggling with so that somebody else doesn't feel alone in it. That somebody else feels like, wow, she's feeling that? And she's one of the smartest people I know. Wow. We'd never know what Hashivat Avedah we're doing when we can let down our guards, let down the facade, let down the image and be present for each other and to each other at, at this time of year. That happens not just at high holidays. That's the pinnacle. But certainly every time we have a gathering at the synagogue, the women's groups and so forth, that happens. I remember at uh, one a couple years ago, I had had a, a difficult time with a different congregant, and she came up and said, you're not talking to me because it's the so-and-so. And I said, yes, it is. And so I want to tell you about that. Let's solve that. And we did. So it happens anywhere, anytime, but the high holidays are the reminder. It's the return to that awareness. Yeah. High holidays is where I get to preach it. <laughs> right. Right. It's where I get to preach it. Um, but right. But I think we do it here every week. Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but I always leave here going, who knew? Who knew that was there? Like, I didn't even know that was missing. So I, I just want to stretch this a little. <laughs> so, Why not? The rabbis do Exactly. So, yeah, uh, sometimes what you've lost is lost. Mm-hmm. And I think in finding the awareness of acknowledging what you've lost and mourning it and processing it. And in my mind, working it into Yisker is part of this whole. I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. So Mark is suggesting that, that we also need to get our heads and hearts around the fact that sometimes what's lost is gone and it's not coming back and naming it, grieving it, Crying, yelling, throwing things for some of us, um, is an important part of dealing with it, right? And that Yisker is one of the places that we do that. Yisker is one of the places we name literally what's most precious to us that's been lost, which are people we've loved and who have loved us. And it's true that they're lost. I also believe in that practice, we find something that enables us to cope with what we thought would kill us. I really thought the death of my father would kill me. Some part of me really thought I'm not going to get through this. I was 35. It came out of nowhere. Diagnosis to death was six months. He wasn't married. So I was taken care of. It was horrible, horrible. We were very close. It was horrible. I was sure it was going to kill me on some level. I would never be, be the same. And that's true. I am not the same. However, Because we have this amazing practice of Yisker, this amazing practice of coming together, this amazing practice of openly expressing our grief and naming names, we find a community that's like, we've been there. We get it. Because they're saying Yisker for their parent who died 30 years ago. Or, you know, God forbid, a child that died. I mean, everyone is there saying, we get it. We get it. We've got you. Until you've got it. And it never, never ceases to be one of the most moving parts of the holidays for me are when people show up here for Yisker. Because, you know, we do it at every festival. We have Yisker at the end of every festival. So there's a group, and it's particularly people who've lost someone that year, because we send out a letter saying, come to Yisker. 
every holiday for a year. Um, that room is one of the most holy experiences I have every single year, every single time. People who are showing up for people who are gone and people who thereby are showing up for each other. Doing Hashibat Aveda, returning, right? Something that's, that's been lost on some level. That's why we say, may their memory be for us a blessing. That, that's, that's what we have, right? Is memory. Okay. So we're, we've done Rabbi Aaron Lieb Smokler before, right? Who brings the spot I met. I didn't bring you her outline the way she did it because I'm switching which text she did first. So I copied and pasted and moved stuff around. These laws known as Hashevat Aveda, the returning of lost objects, call on us to take responsibility for the possessions of other people. The human instinct is to avoid lahit alem, right, to disappear oneself, to not see what is before us, to not view other people's stuff as having a claim on us. So three times over, the Torah warns against this indifference and prescribes active involvement. Faced with a lost, wandering animal, return it to its rightful owner. Confronted by a faltering animal, return it to its feet. Other people's belongings belong in your consciousness and your sphere of concern. To the Hasidic ear, though, there is so much more that is adrift and off kilter in the world. So many more types of lost objects that need finding. So let's go to the Svadimah. What does the Svadimah say? Regarding the verse, if you see your fellow's ox or sheep gone astray, do not ignore it. You must take it back. Hashev to Shivaim. This can be explained thus. Okay, so now he's going to unpack what that verse of Torah actually means. Here's what it actually means, says the Svaramit. When a person accustoms oneself such that one cannot ignore one's... Now, here's the interesting thing about the Hebrew. The Hebrew um, says, Hefsed shel chavero. The... Mm, that which is lost to one's friend. Hef said shel chavero. What's lost to one's friend. So what is, what is this Fatimat saying? This is not a law that you, you have to go take the object back. It's much more than that. It's saying you need to become the kind of person for whom it is impossible to ignore that which is lost to your friend, whether it be a physical, or a spiritual loss. Then one can truly, and here's where the Hebrew again is much more beautiful than the English. Then you can return a love avedato. Then you can return that which is lost to your friend. But in Hebrew, it's much, it's much less clear. Is it the friend that's lost something or is the friend lost? In Hebrew, you could read it both ways. Your lost, you can return your lost friend, or you can return that which is lost to your friend. Right? It, it's much more beautiful in the Svatimet's Hebrew, because you can read it either way. When one becomes adept, when one has habituated oneself to this, to noticing what's lost, one cannot tolerate losses within oneself then one may truly be redeemed. How does Rabbi Smokler unpack this? He notes that taking account of others who are adrift is a practice. So now she's suggesting it's the friend that's lost. 
one must habituate oneself to this, averse as we naturally are to seeing what we would rather not see, whether it be physical infirmity or spiritual deficiency. Also, it is hard to be keenly conscious of absence of who or what is missing. We need to actively cultivate an ability to truly see other people with all of their holes and to see who or what is missing from the whole. And Svaramet says, then we won't be able to tolerate what we know is missing in us, meaning we won't be able to tolerate behavior that comes out of the flaws in ourselves, what's missing for us, right? So when I snap at somebody, stop it, Kayla. When I snap at somebody, it is never because of what they've done. A spiritually responsible person, according to the Sfat Emet, would say, I haven't done my work today. Or I wouldn't be snapping at Kayla. There's nothing Kayla can do to make me snap at her. Nothing. It is always about me, right? And what's missing in me that makes me impatient and want to snark at somebody. Always. Always. Now, other people have their stuff too. That has nothing to do with how I behave. All that should lead me to, says the spot I met, is compassion. Oh, wow. Kayla spoke pretty sharply to me just now. I wonder what's up for her. Kayla, you okay? Everything okay? Did you eat lunch? Do you need a nap? My couch is great in my office for napping. So, right? That is a different way of seeing what's missing. What's missing for Kayla? It's my job to try to return it to her. That's my obligation, says Torah. It's my obligation. It's not an option for me to go, well, Kayla seemed pretty cranky today. And go about my business. My my obligation is hashe bataveda, is to re, is to try to figure out how to return to Kayla what she's missing. Right? This is another way I believe community is critical for us, particularly at high holidays when we're aware of wanting to change and be different. I feel like what we do for each other is model that. Right? There are people we want to grow up to be like. Right? That's the point. That's the purpose. To sit in community is to sit with people who teach us who we want to be. Because we didn't get that earlier or in a different way. Or we weren't ready. But now, maybe this year, we are. Maybe this time. Maybe this year. Right? I, I want to stay I want to stay with this sentence. Yes. He notes that taking account of others who are adrift is a practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, I find the high holidays, uh, coming to services is just not right for me because I just don't like big groups and big groups don't work. Um, and I so much feel that what we're talking about takes place here and we should try to have it take place more every day in our synagogue and our community. And, um, what goes on in the high holidays is like, you know, New Year's Eve for, it's for amateurs. It, it just doesn't, we don't, we don't really make it work for me. Right. Except for those of us it does work for, right? Okay. For the, right. For those of us who are intensity junkies, we love a big crowd. The bigger the crowd, the better. But what Jim is saying, and he's putting his money where his mouth is literally. Jim has funded a speaker to come to KI every year in honor and the, of the memory of his parents. It will be the Sokolov lecture. Um, and this year we're talking about death and dying and, it's been requested of us, and Jim was interested in it also, 
Um, we're going to have the conversations about end of life, you know, all the stuff that we need to do. Uh, October 20th, huh? 28th, October 28th. Rabbi Michael Strassfeld will be giving the opening keynote address about uh, life and death, the Jewish approach to life and death. And then we will have practical discussions. So I think what Jim is saying is, and he's ready to see it happen here, is we need each other to have some hard conversations, right, that are, you know, that are necessary and that really do answer for us what's not easy to search for, what's not easy to ask for. Help me talk with my kids about what I want when I die, right? Someone has their hand up. At home, unmute and speak. Hi, this is Daphna. Hi, Daphna. Um, I have a question that's kind of been a brewing as we've gone along. Um, my impression in hearing the text that you started with, the biblical text, was that it focused on the person who found the thing that was lost and what is their obligation to find the rightful owner of that thing. And then my impression on hearing the text from Rabbi Nachman Braslav was an emphasis on the person who has lost something and what is their obligation to be made whole? What are the steps that they need to take? But in hearing the further analysis and then just thinking about life, it's really a fluid two-way thing. Um, and I'm wondering if a text really does make that hard distinction. Like, are the rules just one way or is it really intended to be both ways? I think for the spiritual teachers that we're looking at, the Svaramet and Rabbi uh, Yaakov Yosef of Polonia, I think it is definitely a two-way street. But both Rabbi Nachman and these two commentators are, they're writing from the position of spiritual masters, right? They're, they're, they're writing from the position of te- being teachers and leaders of communities. So they're very concerned with their responsibility to help us be better people. So it's, it's two ways for sure. Um, but they want us to do this for each other and for ourselves, right? Because they believe that's what will create a community of, of peaceful, in- more, I'm not, I don't like that word, but you know what I mean? Like more helpful, healthy interactions, right? So yes, it's both ways. Um, all right. So let's look at Rabbi Yaakov Yosef and then I'll finish with what happened in Israel. Why I'm, you do I care. refer to KI, which I'm sort of just here once for four months a year. Why aren't we in more synagogues clearer on what our purpose is? In having our purpose communicated to the community. What pur- what purpose? Finding lost things. Are you saying the purpose of the synagogue or each of our own purposes? Purpose of our synagogue. Well, I so I don't think, I think from my experiences yeah. from my experiences most synagogues don't communicate their purpose well at all. So I think we do a pretty good job, but that's just me. Do y'all, th- do y'all think we understand our purpose and articulate it? Service generally to, to me, from what I've observed, is doesn't do it. Doesn't do what we're doing right now. So that's why really we have doesn't do it. lots of ways to engage. And I think if you ask the women of KISS, they will tell you this is what they get from 
coming here. We are a Jewish center, and that is really how I think most of us think about this place. We engage in lots of different ways here, um, and it serves different needs. It's all about celebrating Jewish peoplehood and building community. And I think if you look at our website, if you look at our emails, if you look at the tone and tenor of of what what we say, you know, forward facing, I, I feel like we're pretty I think we're pretty clear about that. And that I could be I could be thinking that because I do a lot of the communication. I, mean, I think I think that as you said, there are many, many different subgroups. There isn't one group. We are a diverse synagogue and you know, we have what, thirty, forty people here at Tor Study every week. That's different from a different group that the Sages group or KISS or the people who come Friday night. Or for that matter, the people who come once a year uh to High Holy Days. And we are all of that, not just one thing. Okay. All right. So you you'll identify places or opportunities where you think we could do that better, and then that would be great feedback for us to get. Just one more thing. Uh-huh. I think that in many meetings, I hear, take what you want and leave the rest. And there, there are places, even in the high holidays, because I don't like big crowds either. I'm, I'm not comfortable. I isolate myself in the space that I'm in, and I sit close to the front so I'm not watching the parade of all the new dresses going up and down the aisle. And I isolate and I make my own group to hear what I need. So I take what I need and I leave all the rest. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Huh? Okay. We're doing it. All right. Do not ignore it. Right? Lowly hates Alem. You will want to ignore it slash them as if you do not have any relationship to it or them. You will want to have nothing to do with these lonely, broken, wayward souls, says the Rebbe. They will make you feel uncomfortable. They will make you feel threatened. You will want to distance yourself and look away. But what does Torah tell us? Hashav to Shivain. Return them you must. It was not for nothing that they came into your awareness. You have a stake in the matter. Hashav, meaning return, meaning you do your tshuva first. And then Tashivain, return them into Shuva, back into the circle of your life and your community. Welcome them, root them, give them a sense of belonging once again, recognize your shared humanity and your shared vulnerability. Join in solidarity. The gifts of this embrace are enormous. The rabbi goes on, and that's why it says, Hakem Takim, about lifting an ox, if it's fallen over, right? The verse says, you must help him Hakum, literally, to get up. Yaakov Yosef reads this to mean you shall be raised along with it. Not you're going to help raise it, but you will be raised as you help raise it. Raise that one. When the great ones of Israel bind themselves to the rest of the generation, Daphna here, right? The teachers, then they themselves are elevated. The community is only whole when it makes space for the broken. Individuals can only stand proud when they help others stand erect. One who raises others is themselves raised up. Another way to understand, right? You can't disappear from it or them because it makes you uncomfortable that they're hurting or that they've gone 
whoops, off the rails, right? It's your job to do your tshuva first, check yourself first, and then help bring them back. As you help lift them up, you are raised. As we lift the most down among us, we as a community are raised. And I have to say that I am always so deeply proud and impressed of this community and how it immediately embraces people who have the great courage because it takes so much courage to walk through these doors. So much courage. And when people do that and they show up here and they've done whatever it took for them to finally get to the place where they come through these doors, this community, I am always so moved at how quick everyone is to make that person feel uplifted, to feel supported, to feel like they belong here. And that lifts this community. That lifts this community and makes it one of the most gorgeous I have ever had the privilege to be a part of. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.